Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, I get to share a conversation I had with one of the people who has most given me hope for unity between the Catholic and Protestant church. Today, we get to sit down with Father James Mallon, a priest from Halifax, Nova Scotia, who's at the front line of parish renewal in the Catholic church around the world. Now, our heart as the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is really to inspire and serve pastors and church leaders. And even beyond the podcast, we want to make resources available to you. So you can find some more resources on our website, ccln.ca, and also on our YouTube channel. And just this week, we posted a video of an event we hosted in Vancouver with John Mark Comer. He was speaking to a room full of pastors on leadership and personal spiritual formation, really. It was an incredible session, and uh, we wanted to make that available for you. So you can find that on Canadian Church Leaders' YouTube channel. Now, today's interview with Father James Mallon is unique. We want to take a little bit of a break from all of the content around COVID-19 and take you back to an interview that we did before the pandemic. We were down at the Alpha USA conference in Phoenix, Arizona at Hillsong Church. And uh, Father James Mallon was one of the speakers, and he took some time to sit down with us backstage and talk about, yeah, really the future of the church, the Catholic church, and what renewal looks like. And if you don't know Father James, I'm so glad to introduce him to you. He's been a parish pastor in Halifax, Nova Scotia for a number of years, uh, but today he serves as the Episcopal Vicar for Parish Renewal and Leadership Support for the Archdiocese of Halifax in Nova Scotia. He's the author of several best-selling books, including Divine Renovation, which is all about moving parishes from maintenance to mission. He leads a ministry under the same name, Divine Renovation, which is serving churches around the world. And I want to tell you where I first got to know Father James. When we were working on the Alpha Youth Series, the, really the mandate was to produce a resource that the whole church could use. This has always been the heart of Alpha. And I'd been working for Alpha for several years, and we decided what would it look like to build a resource for high school students to engage their friends in conversation about faith, life, and God. And the brief was to write content that the whole church could get behind. And so I grew up in a Protestant context in the Pacific Northwest of Canada. And so some friends and I, we began to write these scripts based off of Nikki Gumbel's content. And then we began sending it out to a number of editors. So we had editors from the Pentecostal church, from the Avakin church. And Father James, who was so busy and had so much demands on his life, he offered to be an editor from a Catholic perspective on our content. And so he very kindly and humbly went through our manuscripts. And then we would jump on the phone and he would circle a few things and say, hey, this line here, this might, you know, uh, be hard for certain people to understand in this context. And he and I got to work together and find language without compromising any of our theological convictions, but find language that could unify the church. And really that epitomizes Father James to me, a guy who's theologically so insightful, but passionate about unity, but humble enough to make himself available to a young guy like myself who didn't really know what he was doing. And since then, we've been able to have a lot of conversations uh, like the one I get to share with you today. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. We want to serve church leaders and their teams by sharing honest and thoughtful conversations about pastoral leadership. In this podcast, we were exploring the question, what does it mean to lead people in the way of Jesus in the midst of today's world? Let's jump into today's conversation. Okay, Father James, very excited to spend some time chatting with you. Uh, two words. Well, I got lots of words I would describe you, but two words I think really sum up my experience of your ministry. One is you're a pioneer, like you've pioneered new models of ministry. 
uh, in the Canadian context, now in the global context. You were doing film resources before that was a thing that people were doing. So you're a pioneer, but you're also um, like a bridge builder. Uh, and I've been just so impacted in my own life learning from you. You and I coming from two very different Christian traditions, but then being able to actually see uh, a real friendship. Mm. And you're doing that across the board. And so this idea of bridge building, can you just speak to that, which is obviously a value in your life, like where did that come from and what does that look like for you? You know, before I want to say that, you know, I remember the first time I encountered you, I was, it was in 2004 and I was a pastor. I just arrived at this church and we wanted to transition into youth ministry and we used a, a an evangelistic tool for young people. Yeah. What was it called again? I'm not Come telling on, you. you, you no, know, I'm not telling you. You're not going to make me it's suffer through Quest. this. Quest, right, <laughs> Quest. And we started doing it. And then in the, in the extras in the DVD was this story of this young kid who brought Quest into his high school, and it was Jason Ballard. It was you. So uh, I remember back then, 16 years ago, saying, wow, look at what God is doing with this guy. And you, always, and, and you know, that was, you talk about bridge building. Yeah. That was an experience of bridge building because well, it's exactly. like, here we are using a common resource, a common tool, seeing fruitfulness, and it's coming from the same heart. I mean, yeah. that's the essence, isn't it, of, of unity is when we could like, we're like, wait a minute, you, you mean, you mean you're my brother? I know, it's wild. And that's and, it, you know? <laughs> what, what happened for me, which was wild, I grew up in an evangelical context, and um, we started this prayer group at our school. That's where like Quest stuff came out of. But people from all different Christian traditions kept showing up at this prayer group, and I had no framework. Mm. I didn't know historically about any division. So my Catholic teenage friends, we were just praying together for that Jesus would move in our school. Mm. And that was my paradigm. Right. And then I began to realize this is more complicated than my... And so I always dreamed, it's crazy, as a high school student, I dreamed that I could be part of a unifying work. And so just to even think about, even at that time, that God was using that little... I mean, it's just wild. That's crazy. It's so fun. So anyways... And, is, and I love that the term you use, uh, bridge build. It's actually a very old title or expression in the church. I don't know if you, if, if you know that because... Tell me about that. Well, it's actually one of the... Well, it's actually one of the titles of the Pope. People say, oh yeah, you got this guy on for five minutes, he's talking about the Pope already. But anyway, so one of the titles of the Pope is Pontiff. They call him the Roman Pontiff. And the, so stay with me here, folks. The, the word in Latin is Pontifex, which means bridge builder. Wow. And, and it actually, it goes back to the time of the Roman Empire, where actually it was a government position. When you were named the Pontifex, you were actually responsible for hmm. building the bridges over the Tiber. You had to, you had to take, take care of them. And when the government fled after, you know, when all the barbarians were piling in and the, the, the local church leader, the Bishop of Rome, basically had to run the city, uh, the title Pontifex, bridge builder, was just brought onto him, except it had a spiritual meaning. Right. Because the, the primary role of the Bishop of Rome uh, was to build bridges, was, was one of unity, to bring unity among the churches. Wow. And, you know, in the intervening centuries, there's been moments of greater success of that role and lesser, lesser success, shall we say. But we live in a good, an exciting time, don't we? Like, from, from what I can see, it seems like you're not the only one out there as a champion of unity right now. Is this something you're seeing happening globally? Yeah, I, I think it's different in different countries and different places, but universally, I think as, as the culture around us changes and, and you know, the, we're really witnessing the, 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 the dying groans of, of, of cultural Christianity yeah. in all of its forms. 
that basically it's becoming clear. I mean, that the ultimately underneath everything, underneath the particular expressions uh, of, of church, um, underneath their different ecclesiologies, is ultimately the question, are we, of, are we making disciples? Are we forming disciples? Are we equipping, equipping them? And are we mission, are we sending them out? And that core dynamic, once you embrace that as the primary task of the church, without which nothing else really makes any difference, once you embrace that, then, then ultimately our struggles as, as church leaders are essentially the same. Yeah. A lot of people would know the work of Divine Renovation. Um, it's a ministry impacting parishes around the world, really helping local parishes uh, revitalize, find new impact in their city, systems and structures and methodology. But before your divine renovation, you were in a local parish, yep. like trying to pioneer a new work. Can you talk about some of the early days at St. Benedict's in Halifax and what that was like and what challenges you're facing? Yeah, I, I'd say that, you know, the, the story of that is divine renovation really goes back to when I was 16 years old. And I was raised in a church going family. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I said, I prayed every night. Uh, but I was forced after getting into some teenage extracurricular activities, I was forced by my parents to go on a stupid religious weekend. And on that weekend, I encountered the Lord in a, in a way I never wow. thought was possible. Like it was, it was life changing. And I knew at that point, I knew two things. I wanted more, I wanted to go deeper, and I wanted to tell all my friends about it. And I was still like an infant in, 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 in my response to the Lord. But it, it changed the trajectory of my life. And very early on, I went back to my local parish to basically say, hey, I, I've discovered what, what you guys all know, except I began to realize that many of them didn't know this either. In fact, they were just like me. They were, they were people, they were kind of cultural Catholics. They were going to church because that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, they believed in God. They had a level of faith. But in terms of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and yeah. being and being moved like that and and called into a relationship and, and everything that that accompanies that it was foreign for many of the people there so I, I began to find my my core community in, in a parachurch organization in the Catholic Church we call those movements and here's the thing in the Catholic Church you got this this duality for the most part in parishes the parish systems there's a culture of minimalism and mediocrity where maybe a small percentage of church goers are actually living as what I'd call missionary disciples. Mm. It's a phrase that's very, um, it's a favorite phrase of Pope Francis. I think it's a great phrase, you know, basically disciples who become apostles, right? Um, but in, in the movements, uh, these parachurch uh, um, uh, movements, they attract people from all around and they have those core dynamics. And as a teenager, I began to say, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what if this, everything that makes this work. And it seemed to me now as I look back that the core ingredients, what were they? They were the, the essentials. They were dynamic worship. They were evangelization, discipleship, uh, community and ministry. What if these actually became normative in, in, in the local church? Right. And way back then, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. And then I felt called to priesthood after years of the seminary I, I, and being a, a newly ordained and being an associate pastor, I finally got my own church. How and old were you when you were first leading your own church? Um, I was 30. Wow. Yeah. And uh, for the, the, I was actually ordained at the age of 15. Um, anyway, no, I wasn't. So, um, <laughs> and that makes you how old now? <laughs> so basically, I remember my first church where, I, again, I came to that moment. It was like, oh my goodness, like, like this just feels kind of 
kind of dead. Like, how do how do we how do we mobilize that? And that's when I was first introduced to Alpha. Actually, wow. a friend of mine called me and said, "Hey, I, I think I found something you're you're going you're going to like." And I I watched some of the videos, and right away I thought, "Wow, there's something here. There's something." At that point, I was just focusing on the videos. As people may know, Alpha is not videos. It's a, it's three components. There's, there's the components of a, of a meal, you know, high degree of welcome and like crazy hospitality. And then there's the talk, and then there's a small group. So it's essentially dialogic. So if you reduce the Alpha to just the talks, you're kind of missing the point. But but just watching the talks, I was I was like I was caught. Hmm. So I said, let's do it. And I think when we first started running Alpha, I made all the classics mistakes that we you know tell people not to make, but I made them all myself. And but we saw incredible things happen. We saw yeah. church-going people come alive in faith. You hear the gospel message in a fresh way. Experience the Holy Spirit. Experience community and friendship. Hmm. You know, I heard someone once say that the task of of church renewal is to move people from sitting in rows to sitting in circles. Hmm. And for a lot of churchgoers even who go on Alpha, it's the first time they've ever sat in a circle with other believers. Wow. And so we saw amazing things happen. We saw people who had left the church come back through Alpha. We saw people who had never gone to church at all. People who had no faith, have conversion. And we saw the church begin to mobilize. And so I took that tool into every other church I've been in since then. And in my last church, you mentioned St. Benedict Parish. So it was, uh, I, I walked in there really at a point in my life where I just received so much, mm. like so much from other leaders, Catholic leaders and, and non-Catholic leaders, very in, inspired through uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, the church that started Alpha. Very, just very blessed and had received so much, had been doing Alpha for years, reading books, going to conferences, making tons of dumb mistakes myself, and really getting in a, in a place where, in a sense, I could I could say, okay, let's let's really intentionally begin to to plan to do something different. I got permission from my bishop, and we built eventually built, built a team because uh, I could never have done it without that team. And actually, the guy that introduced me to Alpha, Ron Huntley, he was actually the, the first guy I called. Funny thing, we were at a conference, and I, I just had a sense that the Lord wanted him to come, and I called him hmm. out of the blue. And he, uh, he, he eventually said, yeah, and he moved in. and. He, I asked him to help me run Alpha and get uh, you know mid, mid-sized groups going in our church. And over space of eight years, we saw incredible transformation. And Alpha really was at the it was like at the heart of it. Um, and how if you do Alpha well, Alpha it's actually very hard to do well. Hmm. It's very easy to not do it well. But if you do it well and you it you you see it really as a as a tool that can totally transform. The culture of your church and we saw it happen it was incredible it was like a dream come true so out of that i wrote a book and the book kind of hit a nerve yeah. and it's now in 13 languages and we were overwhelmed by responses around the world so we felt god calling us to start a ministry and now that ministry we've got lots of people working in it we've got staff in the uk and our office in halifax we've got 13 coaches around the world we do in-depth leadership coaching We've got a digital platform, uh, we do conferences, books, um, yeah. got a podcast. Well, you know, it's interesting, like, this is happens in the church a lot. Like, we can end up seeing what's in our, like, denomination or our tribe or our network and not know that there's amazing things happening outside. Mm. So I think for a lot of people probably listening, uh, if they're not actually pulsing with the Catholic Church, it'd be hard to imagine, but like, what I, I began to hear murmurs of like this church out in Halifax that's growing, a Catholic parish. And then I remember meeting you and reading Divine Renovation and just at the early, early days of that. But now like hundreds of parishes around the world, you know, tied back into this network, really seeing yeah. revitalization happen. 
Um, did you ever imagine like the work you guys were doing in this small Canadian city, relatively small on the global stage, mm. having sort of this global resonance? Look, I remember two years ago, I was in Paris, I was speaking to about 140 pastors and it was question time and uh, this lady who was there got up and, and, and basically said, uh, and she was asking a question to set me up to kind of, she was kind of like lobbing the, the baseball to me to hit, hit it out. But she said, well, she said in French, how is it that basically, uh, you know, a parish that uh, basically is like in a, in, in a fishing village. Is that what she called Halifax? <laughs> yeah, fishing village. Because <laughs> we had... You know, we had at that point, I think, it was like 18 staff or something, right. which, of course, for people, it's like, whoa, that, like, like that's incredible. You know, that doesn't happen yeah. en France or any, any, anywhere else. So that only happens in America. Uh, and uh, so that was mind boggling for, for them. But I'll never forget that uh, uh, fishing village, basically oh, a fishing that. village. So what was your question again? Oh, I don't know, but I could talk about people saying, um, and then the cold, the cold winters must be really hard as well. So the, the question was about, I'm sorry, I get distracted on fishing villages. Oh, it's so um, good. Oh yeah, because you ever have imagined? The answer is no. Yeah. Because I'll tell you a story. When we first started, uh, when I called Ron Huntley, because actually I walked out, I was, I was actually at an Alpha USA conference like 10 years ago. And I was sitting in the front row because I was doing this like speaker training thing with Nicky Gumbel. I was supposed to be like following him around it. And during his talk, I had this like Holy Spirit just whomp me. Like there's been about five times in my life where I've experienced something like this, where just this, it was so strong and so clear. I get up and walked out. I was wow. right in the front row. I walked out on Nicky Gumbel and I called Ron Huntley and I said, Ron, I can't explain what just happened to me, but uh, here's I'm moving to this church, and I think the Lord wants you to come and, and move and, and be on my staff. Wow. It's like, Ron, hello? He was actually driving in rural PEI. Um, do you know what he said to me? He said, James, this is after he thought about it. He said, James, if you're, if you're calling me to change a church, no. But if you're calling me to change the church, yeah. Yeah. And I said, Ron, I think, uh, I mean, we're a couple of dumbbells, but I think I get a, I have this feeling that it's about the church, the wow. church, not not just a church. And when we first, I remember in the first early months, we actually, I know it's talking about Alpha a lot because Alpha has just really hugely impacted my life and ministry and has really been at the heart of so, so much of the change. But I remember early in the early months, we went to a Alpha Partner Church gathering in Toronto that was facilitated. It was about like 14 pastors, from around the country and from different church backgrounds. And the facilitator said, I want you to think about your vision for Alpha in your church. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And then he, then he, said, then he said, but you, you, you have to draw pictures. I was like, ah, I hate that. I hate when they do that. I hate that when that happens. So I had a guy with me, but one of my parishioners was with me. He happened to be, uh, his boyhood dream was to be a cartoonist. So he was really good. So what we, I, sat, I remember saying to him, I have this image of, of Alpha as a pump. It's a pump. And the, the handle of the pump is the alpha question mark. And what's the pump doing? It's pumping people from the pews and from outside of the pews into a discipleship process. It's evangelizing them. And that water is in the, the, the pumping them through. And he said, that's, that's incredible. He said, the image that came to me was a church filling up with water and exploding outwards when it reached the level wow. of the windows and flooding the, the, the neighborhood. It was like, whoa, you know, it was like one of these moments. And so we drew that picture. And up in the corner, we drew Nova Scotia, but it, now it looks like a fish, but it's, we, we drew like all of around the Halifax, all blue. Yeah. That was our vision to impact the city. Beautiful. And now this is the crazy thing. 10 years later, that 
picture that we drew yeah. has been seen all over the world. It's amazing. It's crazy. So the answer is no. We never in a million years ever thought this, you know, yeah. God who can do infinitely more than can we ask and ask or imagine. I'm so thankful for that first vision and what it represents happening globally. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I know for a lot of pastors, whatever age they are, church leaders, the idea of trying to make change in a bigger, small organization uh, usually goes through a life cycle that starts with great excitement. Mm. And then sometimes that excitement can lead to early momentum. And then you're met with all sorts of practical challenges, whether it's financial or bureaucracy or whatever it is. And listen, you're operating in a very old, big, (laughs) resilient, right? That's right. I want to honor that resilient system, but you're trying to navigate some precarious conversations. And I just want you to speak to that idea. Imagine if this is a bunch of young leaders listening Mm. who are full of ideas in a local context or in a national context. And they're saying, how do I do this? What do I do with this dream for change? And how do I, yeah, build trust along the way? I I think the the critical thing is, is don't let the dream die. Don't ever let it dry. Don't let the passion dry up. Um, Don't ever stop being discontented. You know, that godly discontent. Like, as soon as we make peace, something within us has died, I think. Uh, And so hold on to it, but monitor it. You've got to be careful. Like, in my own journey, I remember, you know, about four years in uh, at the church I was in, in feeling the resistance of the of the broader church, and even sometimes the resistance within the parishes we sought to transform, because that's it's always going to be a constant. I experienced seasons, a season when in particular I that discontent began to sour in me, mm. and it began to harden my heart against some people. And and I remember one day when I when I experienced my negativity, my rotten attitude being reflected back to me by a staff member. And it was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And it was, I had, I had, I had to repent of this. And I, I had to begin to pray for those who were in leadership and, and begin to build bridges, which included reaching out and taking the initiative. And, 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 and instead of just being, talking about everything that was wrong all the time, starting yeah. to spread hope. And because I experienced like a lot of my, my vented passion and frustration was a lot of people around me were experiencing as judgment on them. And really I was, the experience means just being a jerk. Interesting. And, and uh, maybe that's one of the things if you've got a bit of a prophetic calling. I mean, it's look at Je- Jeremiah. I mean, being yeah. a prophet is the worst thing for your social life. It's just like <laughs> you stop getting invited to all the best parties. People want to throw you in a well and kill you. Um, but you've, you've got to monitor it. And I think the only way to do that is to bring it to the Lord in prayer. Like, get mm. to your knees and bring it, like really bring it out. So it's that balance. You get, there's a sweet spot of saying, how do I keep it? How do I scratch the itch so that it's still, that I never make peace? I think one of the greatest threats to hope for the future of the church is contentment with the presence. Contentment. And, mm. and so never be content. Always believe and think that, yeah, it, it, it is possible for more, uh, but monitor it. Monitor yeah. it because it's, it's, a, it's a very thin line that, that, that we walk. I, I think, too, that, you know, we've, we've got to, I mean, the question is, do we believe that the, the grace is, is found in every moment, in every season of our lives, no matter the frustrations we may, we, we may feel? Sometimes we're so focused on what we hope for for the future and what we desire and in our dreams for the future that we totally miss the present, mm. moment, you know, and, and this, it's nun kairos, right? Now, now is the moment. Now is the moment of, of salvation. And we can be so desirous of, of some future 
that we miss what God is trying to say to us in in that present moment. So, I, I think, um, yeah, I would I would say I would say that that um, if you're not in that leadership role where you believe you can actually affect some change, uh, you know, be at peace with where you are now. And and there's so many things you can do presently yeah. to actually impact for change. Oh, thanks for sharing that. In your journey of um, being a bridge builder, um, thinking in particular between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, what have been um, some of the challenges with that? Because hmm. I know that's a passion for you, um, and I imagine that's come with some costs. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm pleased to say that the, the challenges are, have been few in many hmm. ways. I, my first um, actually, my, my first experience of, of real unity was, you know, uh, as opposed to when I was a kid. See, I, I grew up in Scotland, and in Scotland, uh, being a Catholic or Protestant is inherently tribal. I mean, there's a great mm. joke, you know, growing up in Glasgow, of a, there was a Jehovah's Witnesses convention in Glasgow, and, and this was supposedly, you know, overheard on the street. It's like, aye, aye, but are you a Catholic Jehovah's Witness or a Protestant Jehovah's Witness? You know, it's, 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 it's tribal, and that's the way I grew up. And, and the, the, the Protestant friends I had as a kid, they, they, they didn't go to church. I thought that's what, it, that's what they were protesting, having to get up out of bed on Sunday and go, go to church. <laughs> and, and when I came to Canada is when the first time I met really faith-filled uh, uh, Protestants, including a, a girl that I went out with for a couple of years. And that's where I, I remember in that, she was a really holy, like really desired to serve the Lord. And I saw something profoundly beautiful in that that was like, oh my goodness. Like, uh, and then, began to discover more and more from that world in, in many ways that, as I look back now, the reforming impulse that has always been in the church. Remember, Reformation happened at three quarters through the story thus far, you know, 1500, right? So, so it was three, three quarters through the book, the Reformation happened. And, and that reforming impulse, which had hitherto been contained within the umbrella and was seen in different movements throughout the, the history of the church, it breaks. And, and then there's a reaction to it. Mm -hmm. and, and something inherently absolutely valuable, necessary, in a sense became suspect. Mm -hmm. and, there was, and, and there was a reaction to it. And, and that kind of desire for, for renewal, for reform, um, is, is something that needs to exist in tension. There's an old phrase in Latin that Ecclesia Semper Reformanda which is a very old phrase. The church always reforming because it always does need to be formed. Mm. Jesus makes all things new. Uh, and that's why our ministry is called divine renovation. It's renovare, to make new again, as opposed to restoring something from the past or, right. or breaking off and starting something brand new from scratch. Um, so that, that, there's a healthy tension. And I began to, through getting to know people, reading, meeting other church leaders, just really fall in love mm. with that that impulse and learning so much from it. Yeah. I think something stood out to me when you talked about that girl you met and you saw a real sincere faith in her. And I just feel like a lot of the conversations about unity uh, are on paper. So it's like, what do they believe? What, you know? But when you sit down, you have a yeah, drink yeah. with someone, you see these, she loves Jesus or he loves you. It really well, can mess with I, I, with I, I got to be honest that my, uh, my earliest real, you know, formal experience in what we would call ecumenical dialogue or relations was when I was first ordained a priest and it was mostly mainline Protestant church leaders that we met with. It was like once a month we had like 
lunch together and we talked about stuff, but it was it, I don't, it was depressing. It was like, I, I don't think half of them even believe in Jesus. It was like, what am I doing here? This is a total waste of time. Hmm. Then I started meeting Baptists and Pentecostals. It was like, these are my people, man. Hmm. Like we're, we're we, <laughs> we believe in Jesus. We believe that it, it matters. It makes a difference. We, you know, we are seeking, you know, experience of the Holy Spirit and and that, you know, that kind of grassroots experience yeah. kind of grew from there. And, and through my involvement with Alpha, it just opened up a whole world where I have very deep connections. I think that the line is drawn in many ways in today's, in today's world. If you think that historically, and even where I came from, say a, a horizontal line, you know, Catholics, Protestants, this, is, this was the, you know, the, the new dividing wall uh, that really in recent times we've seen this, this horizontal line shift to becoming a vertical line that cuts through both tribes. Hmm. And what's this new dividing line? On the one hand, you've got, it really comes down to, are we, are we people who have received uh, the revelation of God, which is, 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 is fullest in the person of Jesus Christ? Is there salvation in and through him, through, through the cross? Do we actually believe in revelation? Uh, or is this something that we just, is all kind of, we just make it up ourselves and we can all vote what we're gonna believe on next? Right. Like, these are two different, and you'll find on both sides of this line, Catholics and Protestants. And so in many ways, huh. I, can, I can go to a conference where there's people from different backgrounds and I feel a greater sense of unity, profound sense of unity with, with uh, church leaders from other traditions than I do with some of my brother priests. Hmm. One of the things I've learned a lot from you is around ministry in the Holy Spirit. And different traditions have different names for that, prayer ministry or spirit-filled ministry or you know, whatever it might be. And I think, I'd just love to hear a bit about your story and why that's such a value for you to give people room in gatherings, whether it's on Alpha or whatever it might be, to actually receive prayer or wait. I've seen you lead in total silence, a room with hundreds of people and just say, let's just wait on the Spirit. And, um, and then a ton of fruit from that beautiful stuff. And just would love to hear you speak to that value. Yeah, it's hilarious because it, it, it reminds us that it's got nothing to do with us. I mean, it's what I love about Alpha and, and different things that happens at, at conference, at a, at a conference. We do the same thing when we have a divine re renovation conference. It's you create a space and you invite the Holy Spirit and you step back and the, and the Spirit of God is doing incredible things in people's lives. Like today, I, I met a guy who was like, yeah, we came to your conference two years ago and this happened and it's changed my church. And it's like, we had no idea. It's the thing. It's like, it's great to be reminded that God doesn't need mm. a permission or that we don't even need to know what God is doing. And so I love that making that space for the Spirit of God to work because here's the essential thing. Well, you know, in Divine Radiation Ministry, we, have, we identify three keys to transforming a parish from, from a maintenance culture to a mission culture. Primacy of evangelism, best of leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Why is this important? Because the church was born in Pentecost, not on Holy Thursday, not on Good Friday, not even on Easter Sunday. The church was not born on Easter Sunday. It was when the Spirit of God came down and drove those men and women from the upper room out. Mm. And here's the thing, what were they doing in the upper room before the Spirit of God came in power? They were praying. Mm. But prayer, it wasn't Prayer is it's prayer plus the the the, the fire of the spirit that, that drives them right. out. And so I think that for for me, and I know it I've I know it in my own experience of witnessing it, I know it in my own life, because here's the thing. The the passion that 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 in a sense sense fuels uh the ministry that I have, you can't conjure it. Mm. I mean, I've tried. It does it doesn't work that way. 
And you know, without the Spirit of God, you know, some days I'd rather stay home and watch Netflix, you know, like, like, like I'm that pathetic, yeah. right? But when the, so I, we need to cry out to the Spirit of God, come with your power, mm. come with your fire, change my heart, move my feet, because the church that goes out eventually drifts back. Mm. And we need to seek it again and again and again and again. The church always must be born of Pentecost again and again. And I think it, it does go back to my early years because I, when I that story when I was 16, you know, those two things, what did I want? I wanted more. And I wanted to tell my friends. I didn't know that wanting more was really about discipleship. And I didn't know that telling my friends was really about becoming a missionary. But, I, you know, I had this, this experience 10 minutes ago and now it, these, these two things became real. And a year later, friends of mine told me about this conference that was happening, this thing called a, charisma, a Catholic Charismatic Conference. I had no idea what that meant. And they said, you're love it. It's about the Holy Spirit. And I was like, Holy Spirit, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't so care what it is. passion since you were young. Well, I, no, not necessarily. Well, since I was 16, yeah. yeah. But I didn't, I just knew that there was now something called the Holy Spirit and, mm. and I had experienced it and I wanted more. So I went to this conference and it was like, it was kind of weird. I'd never experienced this before. There was a bunch of Catholics and they were like singing and praying in tongues and praising God out loud. And I was like looking for the exit, you know, to, to get the heck out of there. And on that weekend, I had, I was prayed over and had this profound experience oh. of God's Spirit that, that totally changed my, again, kind of really kind of changed everything. And this was long before I, I, I sensed a call to the priesthood. And I just knew, my, again, this experience was, was something else. And even when I did respond to a call to the priesthood, I just felt that that experience of God's Spirit was going to be a part of my ministry. And I, I didn't know how, because it wasn't exactly encouraged in the seminary. And the irony was that two-thirds, three-quarters of the guys in the seminary that I was in, all studying for the priesthood, had all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm. All had their conversions through charismatic renewal, but it was kind of under, it was kind of not encouraged. But I always knew that whatever I did, it would, it would have, it would, this would be a part of it. And that was, I think, another part of Alpha, why Alpha spoke so much Mm. to me is because it gave an outlet for, you know, for me to kind of, be involved in teaching on the gifts of the Spirit and that experience of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yeah. So, thank you for sharing. Long that. answer. No, I um, I love hearing about that because, and again, I know this sounds ignorant, but I'll just say it. I think sometimes we function as Pentecostals have the corner on the spirit market. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just not true. It's, it's hilarious because you know what Catholic Charismatics were called in the, the early seventies, Pente- Catholic Pentecostals. Interesting. Yeah, it was called the, the Pentecostal movement within the, 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 the Catholic Church. And it, of course, it was, it was through uh, Pentecostals that, 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 that openness to the gifts of the Spirit actually came into the Catholic Church. In fact, a man uh, from South Africa, he was known as, uh, as Mr. Pentecost, uh, David Duplessis. God put a call, this is back in like in the 50s, late 40s, 50s, God put a, a call in his heart to go to the mainline churches to speak about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he actually went to Rome. He went to, he, he had meetings great, with... He wasn't a Catholic, was he? No, he was he like, uh, he was pe- Pentecostal. Church. Wow. But he went and actually had a, a meeting with the Pope, uh, with Pope John the Twenty-Third, and to speak about baptism in the Spirit. And the story goes that John the Twenty-Third said, yeah, I know, I've, I've got your book right here, I've read it. And like a year and a half later, he called the Second Vatican Council. And... It, David Duplessis actually was the Pentecostal participant in the Second Vatican Council in Rome. Wow. And even there's a link between David Duplessis and Alpha, because David Duplessis was in London, England, preaching, and a young lawyer called Sandy Miller hmm. was 
brought to this gathering by Annette, his future That's wife, right. uh, because he wasn't interested in this stuff. He just was interested in Annette. And David Duplessis was preaching, and he led a night. And that night, Sandy Miller was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he eventually became the pastor of, of uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, and which birthed Alpha throughout yeah. the world. So wow. it's an incredible connection, uh, how God works in all, all of this. Oh, I love it. Maybe just one more thought as we kind of have a bit more time here together. As culture is becoming increasingly more secular, at least in the Canadian, North American, Western context, um, and the church, the statistics would show that churches across the board mm -hmm. are losing people like crazy. And yet we're seeing signs of renewal and God moving. What, what are you dreaming about as you're looking at the shifting I, culture? I'm dreaming that it will hurry up and die. Tell me what you mean What by needs that. to die? Let it die. I mean, Jesus said that, that what's not bearing fruit is going to be cut down, thrown mm. in the fire. And what is bearing fruit is going to be pruned. Like, you can't avoid the knife. And right now we're experiencing the knife. It, it's this, this, this cutting away of, of, of the remnant the, of, of this institution from the past, from a kind of a Christendom era. Like, it, it's, it's, it's breached. It's, it's going down. But if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, something amazing, I truly believe, hmm. uh, is, is, is not only going to be birthed, it's being birthed right now if we have eyes to see. And if we're willing to, to let go of structures and methods, modalities associated with a Christendom era, and that's different based on your different traditions. But that's, that's the task that we have right now because the, the essential model of church that is that basically has a few professionals who are paid to be holy and to lead the mission and everyone else is just a passive consumer and we have religious consumers in all of our churches that that model of church is dying the only church that that is going to be exist in the future i believe is a church that where the the baptized are mobilized for mission those who have have come to conversion to christ they've had conversion to the the church's community of, of the faithful and they have a conversion to own the mission mm. and they're 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 living it out uh, that's the only church that's going to be in existence in the future. And, and, and the secularization of our culture makes it, it draws, makes the lines pretty clear. Hmm. Uh, and the evidence is, is all around us that this is the dynamic that's happening. So, look, it's, it's um, you know, what St. Paul says, you know, always and everywhere we carry within ourselves the death of Christ so that the life of Christ be, may, may be made manifest. That is experienced on in a, in a personal basis as we constantly seek to put to death the flesh and the works of the flesh and so that we can truly say it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me but it's it, it's also within the body of Christ also within the church right. it's that's the reforming wow. impulse that's the thing uh, and I'll just finish by saying this it's uh it was uh, uh, the evangelical missiologist Alan Hirsch who in the last two years has become a friend he he's he actually sent me a quote from a, a very famous Catholic theologian called uh, Hansers von Balthasar, brilliant the theologian, who, and it's the incredible quote about the church as a Eucharistic church. Now, for some listeners, you might think, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, the Eucharist means, you know, that, the, you know, the as Catholics, we believe that the, the, the bread and wine are the, the, the body and blood of Jesus, but it's the Eucharist is broken. The mm. it, Christ is broken. Why? You know, take and eat. He's broken for the life of the world. He was broken on the cross. And the church, if the church is a Eucharistic church, that doesn't just mean let's, let's celebrate communion. Hmm. It means the church has got to be broken for the life of the world. And the church that holds on to its form and resists being broken for the life of the world 
is no longer being faithful. And so we're being broken right now. And so I think our prayer has to be, Lord, whatever it is that needs to be broken, break it. Yeah. Let me not stand in your way. A friend of mine, uh, Peter Herbick, we were at a gathering of church leaders, and after a time of prayer we were sharing, and, and it was hilarious. He said, I, I sense the Lord is saying to us, why are you trying to rescue what I'm trying to kill? Wow. So, Lord, break what needs to be broken. Uh, let's, let's, let's get through Good Friday here. Let's not resist so that we can get to Easter Sunday. And, and see renewal and new life. Amen. Well, so grateful for your time mm. from one Canadian to another. Thanks for serving the church in Canada and so glad that God sent a Scottish guy. <laughs> I'm so glad he actually, my grandpa's Scottish, so he sent at least two Scottish oh, people yes. from, That's right. from, from Scotland to Canada and we get to be friends and I'm so grateful for that. And I just really just wanna honor you and your whole team at Divine Renovation, the work you're doing around the world. It really matters. It's not just a gift to the Catholic Church. It's a gift to the whole church. And I think it won't be until we look at eternity. If we care about anything that happened in this life in eternity, I think we'll look back and we'll really smile at some of these things that we're talking about today. Mm, I'm grateful for you, man. Thank you. Oh, I just love Father James Mallon so much. Love my conversations with him and glad we could share this with you guys today. If you want to hear more from Father James, you can find the Divine Renovation podcast. He's got books and so much helpful content on parish renewal. We've got links to all of his books and resources on our blog, as always, ccln.ca. Next week, we've got a special episode for you. We've got John Tyson on the podcast. He's the pastor of Church of the City in New York, the author of several books, including Sacred Roots, The Burden is Light, and A Creative Minority, which is a short little book that absolutely changed my life. We talked about it on the podcast, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And as always, you can help us a ton by sharing this podcast with your friends and other church leaders. We're just so grateful for those of you who have shared it, given us comments and feedbacks, and subscribed to the podcast. It makes a huge difference and helps more people find this resource, so we're grateful for that. You can find us on Instagram at Church Leaders Network, and if you've got any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at contact at ccln.ca. Okay, I'll see you guys later.